I had a chance to speak with one of my dad's oldest buddies at his memorial party this summer. It played like a lost episode of Home Improvement. You see, my dad was in trade school to learn electrical once upon a time. And he and this would-be buddy were in a classroom outfitted with all the practical hardware necessary to learn the tools of the trade. Dad was sitting toward the back, and Johnny, his buddy, was toward the front. And halfway through a warning speech about the potential danger of electricity from the teacher, the whole class heard a loud bang. Everyone spun around to see what happened. And there was Dad, hands clasped and staring straight ahead while the electrical socket in front of him bellowed smoke and continued to spark. Johnny told me he knew right then and there this was a guy he had to know. Welcome to My Dad, I'm Dad, a podcast for anyone who's ever loved, lost, or anything in between. My name is Doug. Now, Wally Dorda was absolutely the type of guy who would stick something into a socket to see what happened. A young Doug Dorda thought his father knew everything. But the adult father, Dougie D., now realizes that his dad was a tireless student, academic stereotypes aside. For example, you can't just know how to fish. You must continually learn the seasons, the techniques, what lures you need to try, marine engine maintenance, etc. My dad, much like my daughter, sought to learn how something worked. Repeated trial and error might result in catastrophic failure or injury, but it never stopped either of them from getting back up and giving it another go. This week I sat down with George Benson. George is no stranger to being open to the possibility that you might need to give things a second or even a third shot. He's also no stranger to the fact that some aspects of life require re-evaluation as we age. George is a father, an author, a friend, and, as you likely guessed, an inspiration. So, take it away, other me. George, how are you? Doug, I am so good. It should be criminal. (laughs) Is it because we've tried to record this interview now three separate times? Yes, I'm hoping that we don't attain the levels of Cousin Vinny in trying to take the bar exam, when for him, the sixth time was a charm. Oh, you're talking about Jerry Callow, not Jerry Gallo? Correct. Jerry Callow. Right, 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 right. Well, well, thank you so much for coming here a third time. Uh, you listeners will have no idea, but we've had some technical difficulties. Hopefully, we're going to get it all in this crack because I wanted to talk to George for several reasons, but the first of them is this. George, you got a, re- <laughs> you got a chance to meet my dad a few separate times. You didn't get to meet him a whole bunch of times. You didn't get to see him a whole lot. But I'm curious, the way that I'm describing him in the show and the way that I'm presenting him to the world... And, you know, potentially my daughter, when she gets older, if she's curious to listen to these episodes, am I doing an all right job of describing who he was? Or is the man that exists in your mind totally different than the way that I'm describing him? So it's impossible to pick apart the man I met, the stories 
you have and the perception of Amanda and and everything early on in, in, in your marriage and relationship together, it all kind of molds together into this one person who is the, the guy you've been describing. Like every episode I've heard, especially with the second season, listening to stories of like uh, the, the tug of war match uh, episode with your friends from high school, um, I can see your dad doing that. And I, I like to think that even though I, I only met him a handful of times, I met him at his best because they were milestone moments in your life that like just seem to flow together and just create this kind of weird magic that made Wally Wally and be damn what everybody else thought. Yeah, you know, he he definitely was he definitely was the type of person that was going to stick in your brain for one reason or another. You know, and yeah. generally <laughs> it you you kind of touched on it already. Amanda when when we first got together had that kind of knee-jerk reaction of like, "Wait, wait a minute. Is this guy kind of an asshole?" And then immediately you know or or not immediately but over time really flipped into like this guy is one of the most wonderful people i've ever met because he cares so much and you just if you could figure out the 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 complex puzzle that was his emotions and the way that he presented himself in every single situation you were like oh he just cares a lot and we have two examples of things that can both be true equally absolutely (laughs) like (laughs) <laughs> when, so uh, when I hear you talking about your dad, I have now, like, I know what he looked like. There are a picture of us that exist in this world together, and I'm happy about that. But how I imagine him is a full-body Muppet. <laughs> yeah, if you imagine, imagine J.K. Simmons as a Muppet. Exactly, yeah. But, like... I'm talking about like stick legs and like barrel chest, like almost like if you shaved Hagrid and threw him in a worn out neon tank top in some like short eighties gym shorts that you still had. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly maybe the best distillation of who Wally Dorta was aesthetically that I've ever heard. And I will say, I've always thought that if you wanted to do an adaptation of Harry Potter correctly, you do a puppet version and Harry is the only person that is a person because a friggin' Jim Henson creation of Hagrid. Come on, come on. Well, it's a great point, but the, the picture that you talked about that exists of the two of you on this planet right now is from Amanda and I's wedding. And it's one of my favorite pictures there because everything I've talked about my dad, the way that he would dance, the way that he loved music, the way that he would, champion who you were and what you wanted to do exists in that photo that photo is a photo of you and my dad and his good buddy bob and you're all feeling the music because the band we had there i don't mean to toot my own horn but the band we had there the john fett quartet absolutely obliterated every single song they played that night and everyone was feeling it Probably largely because dad was feeling it and he could really get a crowd going, you know? Well, then the alcohol didn't hurt. Well, yeah, we had a... <laughs> you know, it was like it was like 40 degrees. It was outside in the barn and you couldn't feel the friggin' alcohol 
expanding your blood cells until it got super warm. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a wildly amazing time, and I'm so glad oh, you perfect. were there for it. I'm so glad that you had that moment with him, and I'm so glad that that picture exists because it is that perfect frame in time. Because if my dad got a chance to meet anyone in my life that I cared about, he found a way to care about them. Yeah. And he didn't even understand, like, the width and breadth of our relationship so much, so much so, that you were dressed like one of the doctors who, at that wedding, and nobody cared. They just thought you were, like, an eccentric you know, in a purple frock coat. I got one person that asked me if I was dressed as Willy Wonka. <laughs> yeah, I was dressed as the eleventh Doctor from the latter half of season seven. But it was—I uh, mean, everything about that wedding was great. From the the moment where you and Amanda had asked me to start off by doing the marriage is what brings us together today, like the Princess Bride bit. And then to clear my throat and go on like nothing happened like that. It's just like it set the tone for how, how who you two are together. And just like the just the tone of of the people who you were, who you were surrounding yourselves by. It was just such a good time. Part of the reason I love that story is obviously I got married that day to the love of my life. And now I have a child and it's it's wonderful and it's maybe one of the last times that we were able to do a gigantic party Dorda style. Cause it was a wedding, but it was also a Dorda style party. Just a bunch of people in a barn blasting really good tunes. Come as you are, be who you want to be leave. If you got to leave, but otherwise stay. Cause we're going to be playing until midnight, baby. Mm-hmm. And I look back at that photo now of you and my dad and Bob, some of the people that mean the most to me in the world and especially at that time and I see myself who I was then and I see you who you were then and I'm impressed by who we become now I never would have guessed that we would become the people that we are today but it's strange because we're both parents now Maxine's a little older than Evan but it's so strange and it's such a cataclysmic shift in a human life that I needed to ask you, how is your transition to parenthood going? Because I knew who you were then. Like I have a rock solid definition of who you were then, but who is George now as a dad? Uh, hopefully better than the person that was then. That was before a bunch of, well, I was in the middle of a bunch of therapy. That was the, that was the, one of the lowest points of my life. Uh, but that's uh it's that matt smith regeneration speech right we're all different people throughout our lives and you, you know the important thing is to know who you are where you're I, I'm, I'm butchering it but it's just like there's aspects of me that are that are still the same but um <clears throat> now i actually care about making it to 40 you know <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah it's a big one <laughs> it is. I mean, it sounds worse than it actually is. It's just like, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that because it was a, a road that my wife and I had been down for the better part of a decade. Like we've been trying to have kids for a long time. We tried to adopt a couple times and made it pretty damn close one time, but, um, that was canceled, uh, after being matched with her for almost two years. And it was really difficult. 
so you know we never thought that we would have an infant like our the way that i had prepared for dadhood if it were to ever happen was through you know the normal routes of adoption and we would get a toddler and it would most likely be a girl i mean we were open for pretty much anything but uh you know but that, because the last one that we've been working so hard for was was a girl anyway it's like you know we had, I, I had prepared myself for a completely different world than the one that i live in like i uh didn't think i would you know be afraid of my wife dying in childbirth yeah that's uh that's something that you had shared with me before and I got to imagine there's a lot of emotion wrapped up into that because you you had touched on it that you had the you know the adoption that you were working toward that didn't work out and that you had been trying for years and years and years so divorcing yourself from what you had expected versus what ultimately came even though you got what you wanted right you got the thing that you were looking forward to for so long yeah because it's different and the minutia involved with bringing that child to bear can actually be lethal, could be lethal to your partner in life who you've known for years and years and years must be an extremely difficult thing. Has that been tough for you? So by the time, so he was born in May, We our, our 12th, no, 11th wedding anniversary was in June. So he came about a month and some change before it. And for re- recently, 10 years now, my wife has been working in the neonatal intensive care in different hospitals throughout Ohio and Michigan. <clears throat> in fact, that's what brought us up to Grand Rapids when we moved there from Ohio was uh, two of the children's hospitals up there. And so for a decade, while she was a bedside nurse and then while she transitioned to being a nurse practitioner in a very specialized field, every day at work for her, almost every day at work for her, is one of the worst days of somebody's life. And that sounds dramatic and it, you know, it probably is to some degree, but on the whole, that's, that's pretty accurate, especially when she's working in labor and delivery and she has to, you know, go and do, do her thing there. And so for 10 years, I was just primed about all the really bad shit that can, <laughs> all the stuff that can go wrong. And so like there were th- there were two things that I was terrified of. There was meconium, which is when the kid, poops while he's still in utero you know there's there's a breach and then there's the umbilical cord being wrapped around the neck and he hit all three of those things oh he gave you a hat trick eh yep hat trick love it great turn yes absolutely hat trick and scared the shit out of me you know because my kid came out looking like a smurf and so like from from everything that i heard this is the worst case scenario almost not knowing that what happened was actually more common than I knew. My wife was incredible. She did all the hard work. All I had to do was watch and then try and cut the umbilical cord and, you know, encourage her to do one of the most painful things in the world. Second, probably to a man having a cold. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm I'm not saying, I, I think I prefaced this enough. This experience was incredibly traumatic because I thought, like, for all this happened, you know, like there was there was a bunch of stuff that happened in this, and I thought that I was going to lose my wife, and to the point where I didn't want to leave her side, but she told me to go over because one of her coworkers 
had to come, like one of the nurse, NICU nurse practitioners had to come check him out and do suction and all this other stuff. And I'm, you know, trying to stare at this kid and keep it together because like, I have no emotional attachment to him. He just tried to kill my best friend and the person I love most in the world. Like I have the attachment of watching him grow inside my wife and being excited about the milestones, but also being terrified about this. But like in that moment, I was so thankful because one of my best friends who's a therapist, uh, gave me the best advice I've been given as a father, which was when your child is born, do not be surprised if you don't like him right away, because like any other relationship, you have to work on it. And I was sitting there and I was just like, I, I was feeling gutted because of like these conflicting thoughts about him and how I like, I should be loving you right now. I should like be crying that you're here and everything, even though I'm watching you like go from Smurf to pink and, and everything and like trying to balance taking, you know, like as soon as I could hold him, I uh, walked him over to, my, oh no, actually, so right before I could hold him and bring him over to my wife uh, and a bunch of other doctors came in to look at her and everything, it was really, really freaky for me. Um, one of the nurses grabbed him to weigh him or something like that and like almost tripped and sent him flying out of her hands. Like, you know, the scene in Big Fish when- um, Oh yeah, yeah, when he's first like, born. Yeah, and he just shoots down the hospital hallway. I was just like watching that happen in slow motion. And nobody turned the TV off during this because it just like the pre- after over 24 hours of being pregnant, it finally just happened. So I'm listening to Bob Belcher go, oh, God, oh, God. Oh, no. On the TV <laughs> because we had <laughs> Bob's burgers playing on in the background. And it's just like one of those moments where if you just like could freeze time and just like have a record rip and go, like like a gym moment for the camp it was just it was perfect anyway yeah like everything would not be okay as it turns out (laughs) yeah exactly and so like you know then i'm trying to figure out how to like get pictures and video because all these doctors are in there looking at her and everything and then everything kind of finally levels out and you know it was okay and we're 20 minutes 40 minutes he's just living on jet and it's like okay what am i going to do for the rest of his life because i can no longer be the person i was so long story long it's been interesting because he is a different child for his mom than he is for me I can also agree with her in three different ways, you know, especially with me being a stay at home father, there is a version of Maxine that exists when mom is not home, when she's just with me. There is the version of her when mom is around, especially after a long day where dad is not welcome anymore. I mean, it, literally earlier, she, like, Maxine, do you want me to hold you? No, like full on hand, like you better get out of the room, dad. And then there's also the version of her when she's around, let's say, any of her grandparents where it's like, that's the only person she wants to be around and you shouldn't even be in the room. But going back to like the younger days, you can already start to see that behavior kind of come around. And I think that's one of the weirdest 
things that you really start to pick up on as you become a parent is like the the nurturing bond between a mother and a child is understood almost immediately. Oh yeah. And they can tell that like you cannot give them everything they need. But a mom can, regardless of whether or not you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding anything, but a, a mom can be all the stuff that you need. The mom carried the baby yeah. for 10 months. It's not nine months. They tell you it's nine months. That's another thing that you know most of the parenting books get wrong or most of our public lexicon of what parenting is like and what raising a child is like gets wrong. It's 10 months. Oh, I mean, let's not even talk about how the entire field of gynecology is screwed. And if you have a, that was not an intentional pun, but anyway, just how, how messed up the origins of that is and how if you have a kid at 35, you're all of a sudden a geriatric mom. Oh, like, yeah. It's just, I yeah, anyway. There was actually a scene in Scrubs that, and, and like, I've enjoyed the show Scrubs for many, many years, but I always locked into that one where Carla goes to see the new gynecologist when she and Turk want to have a baby and you know she lies about her age she she says she's 29 years old and because she's going in to figure out about her fertility and eventually she has to tell this new gynecologist like she's 35 and he he approaches it from a totally different perspective because now you're a geriatric mom yep it's wild but you know so is most of our well anyway the whole getting ready for him and parenting him is such a 180 from what we had prepped for for so long that uh i like don't know what the day holds but what i can tell you is he's a lot more fun to be around now than he was last time we talked <laughs> how old is um, he now he is seven months he just had his flu and first covid vaccine today oh buddy yeah, yeah. how did he do yeah, did yeah, he do he, okay with the shots or was he a little uh little upset uh, so my wife went with him and he, I did the last set and it was a, oh man, it was a nightmare. It was from the moment we entered the room, it was, it was bad. Like he had just gotten over COVID. Um, I had tested negative, but I would test positive like six hours later. So I wasn't feeling well because I had symptoms for a week. So and like, he just is <laughs> there for an hour and he was just not. It was only two shots. It was not good. It was not good for either of us. And so today when he had four shots, he did substantially better. He laughed at the first one, giggled at the second, cried at the third, wailed at the fourth, was fine in 30 seconds because he had mom, which I do not begrudge at all. I'm happy that he has her because I don't want to do that stuff. Yeah. It's incredible. It's, it's amazing. It's Yeah. Oh, it's, it's unlike anything I expected. And what's been great is, uh, again, we had prepped for something completely different and then this happened, but now I can't imagine if we would have actually been able to go through any of those adoptions because I would have completely missed out on the person my wife is becoming watching that, which, you know, you, if anybody who's listening, I hope can understand as you're watching your spouse, go through pregnancy and become more and more pregnant, they become a different person. But it's in this, like, at least for me, it was, it was wonderful to watch. I, I, you know, we were the last, almost the last of our friend groups to have kids. Um, and so, you know, you hear the horror stories from different people 
and the stereotypes and everything and just seeing my wife not be any of that was great but just watching her moving into becoming this oh man i don't know like nurturer that i knew was kind of there but like i don't know watching her become a mom has just been the best honestly one of the best parts of this whole experience she's so good at it i'll i'll parrot that man amanda is a rock star just the the constant the constant ability to almost supernaturally tell what a child needs and how best to suit the environment for what that child could potentially benefit from unreal yeah it's nuts. It's like it's almost like they spent ten months growing them and know them. <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost. And it's just like now I feel like he and I are starting to really like. There were things, you know, when he was a newborn, or like I, I changed almost every diaper for the first two months of his life. Good like on I changed you, his sir. First diaper in the hospital. Well, it's like, you know. By the way, I don't care what anybody says. Poop is still gross, whether it's your kid or not. So is snot. So is vomit. That shit is nasty. And having it, him be my kid doesn't make it any grosser or any less gross. But I will say, having like these, these, I don't want to say chores or tasks because it kind of lends to the language of like when I have him, oh, dad's babysitting, <laughs> which is not the case. Yeah, I'm parenting. Yeah. Uh, I want the whole world to just go ahead and abandon that. Dad is never babysitting. Dad is being dad. Dad is being a parent with a child. Exactly. So, like, I had these things that I was doing for him so that, like, I could, like, these were my end moments to bind. Because he didn't want me skin to skin. He didn't want me to feed him. Not that I could. I mean, we could have put bottle, but you know what I mean. And so now we're getting to a point which is just been rad to like, you know, make him laugh and, and, and other stuff. It's becoming, it's becoming an actual relationship, which is so cool. Like recently he wanted me to uh, lift him up out of his bouncy chair, arms up and everything. It's like, oh, this is new. <laughs> I'm getting clapped. Yeah. Like, oh, you know? oh, yes, I will grab you son. Like, those moments, especially right around that time, yeah, that six to seven month time, a personality really starts to shine through. Like, there's always a version of a personality. And, uh, you know, I, I used to say that, like, Maxine was just a potato for the first however many months of her life. But it's not necessarily that, but it is kind of that. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So, like, the other night, so I usually bathe him. Not usually bathing. Like it's it's a it's a fairly fifty fifty split. Um, and so when I do it, I I when I take off his onesie, I fold it up over his head, so it looks like he's wearing a like a wig. Perfect. And like he's been laughing at that for the last couple of weeks, not knowing why it's funny, but I laugh at it with him, and it's like our little inside joke. So last night I took him <laughs> to go see my wife while I had it on there, and he just like was kept this grin going. And he started giggling about it. At least I'm, I'm inferring that that's what this is about. And, you know, my wife starts laughing and he starts laughing harder. She's like, oh man, watching this personality develop is just so freaking cool. And then I sit and think like, oh my God, my dad had the same experience with me that I'm having with him. Yeah. Which just like blows my mind in a way. 
it's that is honestly something I think about all the time when it comes to my dad and the way that he was with me or my mom and the way that I was with her and vice versa. One of the silver linings, and there's there's not a lot when, you know, one of your parents passes away, but if you have your other parents still alive, they tend to be able to tap into some of those younger memories very clearly. And my mom will now tell very specific and vivid memories to me about when I was a child, especially, you know, in relation to me raising Maxine. And it's wonderful to hear that. And now I get to kind of vicariously experience what my dad must have been like as a as a father to a very young version of me to an infant version of me by being a father and having my mom watch me be a father which is really cool like that's that's it's it's actually like it's kind of mind-blowing because you just you sit back and you think like man or at least for me being a stay-at-home parent and being out here in Grand Rapids and my family is at least two and a half hours away. A lot of times I feel alone or isolated and not necessarily yeah. in like the worst way. It's not, uh, you know, it's not the biggest weight ever, yeah. but there, there are times where it'll really sit on me. And then I'm like, ah, oh, he must've felt a version of that too, because whatever it is that you sacrifice when you become a parent, cause there is a sacrifice. There always mm-hmm. is you will inevitably find yourself thinking like, man, I could be doing that. And I know there are times where my dad must've been like, I I really could be fishing. I really could be watching the lions, but thinking of me into the void, not doing anything. (laughs) Sure. But thinking of me sleeping on his chest or my, my brother sleeping on his chest or my dad raising my sister while raising my brother and I like, it's it's a way that I always tap into feeling connected to him. You know, so when things get a little bit more difficult, I'm like, ah, oh, man, Maxine is really crying. Like, I think of my dad comforting me when I cried. And it feels okay. See, I just put my AirPods in and put my lawn mowing um, mufflers over my head and listen to, you know whatever podcast i'm listening to my dad i'm dad <laughs> well thank you for choosing my dad i'm dad we know you have many choices when it comes to podcasts out there in the universe and we really appreciate that you chose my dad i'm dad oh oh you're welcome I, I, honestly it's been so like what's been really fun was uh you know i listened to this in the hospital the, when i couldn't sleep after he was born when i was just like staring at him and jet it's like well i gotta do something i might as well be you know hopefully well sleep to the sweet sweet baritone of my friend doug and then like when like there's a, a night a night feed when jet was working or like she was taking a nap and he decided to be awake i would throw it in and listen to it with him like it was just like it's 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 been fun to bring this into our kind of uh, ritual together well that it, honestly it touches me in a way that i can't describe because the whole show existed largely to help me and to help my daughter get to know her grandfather her jaja is what we would have you know had her call him and the fact that it touched anybody is mind-boggling to me the fact that his legacy gets to live on as a direct result of me just remembering him and and you know sending these words out into the universe is mind-boggling to me. And I chose 
the moment I started making these episodes to be brutally honest and extremely genuine uh, with my emotions and with myself and just be entirely present in the moment with my emotionality. And I have to say that the reason that I did that is because I feel like people cling on to it more when you when you're genuine and when you're honest and when you are expressing all the deepest deepest brightest and or darkest emotions that you may feel and you wrote a book (laughs) we don't trust your theology it's true and your book does that in spades and one of the things about our our friendship that uh I want people out there to know is that I have never been a, a person who clung on to religion in any way. I've always been fascinated by religion. I've always respected the hell out of religion. And when you and I met, it became clear that you were a religious person or had come from a religious background. As you had already said, you were you were in a kind of flux period in the time oh, that yeah. you and I got to know one another. When we met, I was already a disgruntled, disgraced caster twice over. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I've been fired from two churches. I like completely like threw everything out and said, screw it. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life anymore. And then I found Cicillanos. And I walked in. The first thing I hear is a baritone voice say, can I entice you in a Star Wars themed chocolate wine (laughs) and i was like all right this guy's pretty all right we can talk yeah it was um i didn't i didn't grow up religious i i was a priester he was a christmas and easter goer every now and again um that's a fantastic way to put it (laughs) that's what we in the biz call it but uh yeah i i i had um i i came to religion at 18 i was going to boot camp and uh was terrified and so i like hit that right emotional manipulation that some churches do and i was just like caught hook line and sinker which for me is it, it's ended up working out pretty well and i like i was the reluctant theist in our group of friends with like a couple other people if i remember correctly but the conversations are always fun and a lot of those conversations kind of laid the path back into this work and in that book. Well, and and part of the reason I really appreciate that book and and your particular take on faith and the way that you chose or the way that you move through the world as a Christian, not that you chose, is, is because <laughs> you're well, you're extremely honest about your faith. You're extremely honest about what faith might do for you, but you're also unbelievably tender with yourself and with the people who read it about the fact that it it was always one thing outwardly expressed but may not that not be that thing the further and further you get into it and i think i think that exists for for anything you know it's a fandom in a way um you know to put a very loose definition on it i was gonna say it's like amway uh for the grand rapids crowd but let's go with fandom yeah yeah sure 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 like it's as you as you were describing earlier you know the the creasters I was like, so is that like Star Wars fans that only watch the movies and not the ancillary material? You know, if yes, you don't, if you don't watch exactly Clone Wars, 
you'll only show up if it's a two-hour thing in a movie theater, but not when, you know, there's an amazing couple of seasons of material that you could really sink your teeth into. But reading that, it just, it, it doubled down on why I became friends with you in the first place. Because you are open, you are honest, you admit your own faults, you admit the faults in something else, you clearly lay out that you don't know the structure of something, but you know your way into something. And as a direct result of that, you paint yourself as someone who is willing to learn continually to be better, to do better, to exist in something as the purest form of what that thing asks you to exist as. And I don't think there's anything out there in the, in the universe of human nature that asks more of us than being a parent uh, to a child. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. First of all, thank you for those kind words. It's um, the the whole writing process of that was an incredibly vulnerable thing. It was like writing an open wound onto paper every day for eight hours. It reads really exactly nice. like that. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, but you know, what's funny is parenting is like parenting out of an open wound every day for 12 hours or 24, depending on who you are. I uh, clock in and out. That was a joke. Yeah, it's, um, I thought, like, there were times I remember my parents making it look so easy. But um, then I remember that that was, like, two days out of an entire lifetime. And, uh, like, (laughs) there was a moment where very early on in, in the sleep deprivation period, where it was like, this comes with a receipt, right? (laughs) <laughs> like i don't want to i don't want to do this not not really like that sounds bad but it's just like when when you get home and the weight of reality sits on you because so my wife and i we've, we've only had pets and i don't care what anybody says having like a kitten is or like a a, a puppy is as exhausting as the newborn period it just doesn't last as long that it's it, that's 100 percent true i i remember when we took our dog to the vet a, a couple of months before maxine was born and they were like yeah you know you'll get to that point where now all of a sudden you realize your dog is your dog and your baby is your baby and this is a slightly different point i'm trying to make here but they were like i remember having a knee-jerk reaction to being like how dare you my dog is my oh. dog, and he's my baby. And then, yeah, when when Maxine hit about the Evans age, you know, the six seven month mark, I remember being like, "Nope, that's my baby, and that's my dog," because one needs food twice a day, and needs to be let out occasionally, and gets a walk at least once a day. And the other, yeah, and, and the other needs entire total engagement from the moment I wake up to the moment she goes to sleep. <laughs> so <laughs> to touch on that, um, we started feeding Evan solids recently, like in the last uh, month or so. I, I don't know. Time doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Not that it meant much to begin with, because what is time? Well, it depends on where you are in the universe. Um, but like I refer to feeding him as giving him wet food, <laughs> which is what we give our cats. And I do it, like, I didn't realize I was doing it until 
my wife pointed that out to me last week. Like, oh yeah, he had this much wet food and yeah, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's just like when you like see your friend's parent, when you, you know, watch television, which I love the episode that you guys just, that you just released the the TV and movie dads. Cause (laughs) it's just fun. But like, you know, like there's, there's so much media around like what you think you have to get right. And then like, I think about, you know, when I was growing up, how, and if, if they listen, I'm, I'm sorry, you can correct me later. I don't remember my parents ever apologizing to me when I was right about something they were wrong. And so it's like, I'm not going to be that parent. And so now it's been like, <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to remember ways of what my expectation of, of, of being a parent is in my mind now to the next version of me being a parent, which is going to be the next version of Evan when he turns eight months. Right. It, it always changes. And that's why I was, I was so curious when I read your book, if, if any of the mentality that you had applied about rebuilding your faith, restructuring what it meant for you to exist in the church and do it the way that you felt was actually indicative of the message of the church. Got it. If there were any through line to how you parent now and how you were like, oh man, I'm going to be a parent this way, especially with the adoptions, uh, you know, the, the, the potential adoptions that didn't go well versus what parenting looks for you like for you now. Did you have to rebuild your own vision of what a parent is? Because I 100% uh, when, when you said they're like, oh, my parents didn't apologize. My dad did apologize to me. My mom did apologize to me. But I remember those things as I got to more an adult age, and it wasn't a yeah, frequent like, thing. That that I'm talking like post eighteen, my like when I actually became an adult in my parents' eyes. Great question. The so my book is about for those who haven't read it. What do you do after you've deconstructed your faith and you want to rebuild it? In there, I talk about this verse in the Gospel of Matthew. Basically, long story short, two guys are building their houses. One builds it on sand, one builds it on a rock. And I used that as an allegory to look at, you know, like your faith or, or parenting, which as, as a house that's been burnt down and you're an insurance adjuster coming out or a claims adjuster and walking through and seeing what's salvageable and what isn't, right? So the moment we found out that we were pregnant or that she was pregnant, I lit that house on fire because all expectations of parenthood went out the window because it was no longer what I'd been prepping for for eight years. Right. And so I feel like Andy Bernard, when he is trying to have a square off against Dwight, when he said, like in the office, when he says, I'm like a, I'm, a, I'm always thinking one step ahead, like a carpenter building stairs. <laughs> right? I don't even have the foyer done yet. Maybe that was getting him home safely. I constantly, I'm, I'm doing that. But like, this is where having a really good partner comes in handy. I mean, you know, she's the, 
well, right now we're kind of back and forth on primary because I start my new job in the first of December and I've been off for the last couple of months. Uh, but normally she's the, the primary. She only works a couple of days a week. But, you know, trying to figure out, I, I, I read books about what to do when to wean for sleeping and, you know, sleep training and when it's time to do uh, feedings and the best way to, to give a bottle, you know, all that shit. And while some of it was like candy, it was mostly like none of this applies to my kid. I don't know who you're writing this about, but this is not my child. One of the reasons I wanted to make this entire second season of the podcast was because of that. Like, parenting books are broad. And I don't know if you would say that the Bible is broad and, and broadly applicable and that there, these are lessons you might cling on to at a particular time in your life. Maybe. And maybe this one will make sense for you today. And maybe it won't make sense tomorrow. But maybe this one will make sense today. And the vast majority that I came across, with the exception of one, uh, Hunt, Gather, Parent by Michaeline Ducleff from NPR. Incredible. It was actually a book that was written from the perspective of like, here's what you do after that infant grace period when your child actually becomes a human being that you now have to contend with. Brilliant mm. book. I can't recommend anybody out there read it enough. Yeah. That and uh, The Wonder Weeks. Yes. Uh, Wonder Weeks, another phenomenal, phenomenal concept. And not even a concept. It's just a fact that you have to cling on to. And, and it can really help you in those moments where you're like, wow, what happened to my kid? Oh, oh. Why is he being such a dick right now? Yeah. Oh, oh. he's leaving. Oh, you know, all of a sudden they're, they're seeing the world in 3D for the first time. Of course, that's weird. You know? But that's what, that is one of the things I loved about your book is just remembering, because it doesn't matter if it applies to your faith in, in God or your faith in what you had known, because God can be a broad concept. And I've always had faith oh in things in my life. Even if it wasn't religion necessarily, I've always had faith in things. And I always had faith that I would be a good dad. I did not know that it would be so extraordinarily difficult for me to be a good dad always. I was just going to say, I can't remember who said it. I can't remember this is my book. But along the my career in, in, in professional ministry, whatever, I had read or heard somebody say, the moment you start defining god and there's a box around it you are no longer defining god you're defining an idol because god is something that is so transcendent that we can only look in and, and name a couple of things like there's this beautiful passage in exodus where moses wants to look upon yahweh and like there's the basically god says no you can't because i'm too awesome but you can look at what i just was and like, the, you know, like there's, that has been like parenting because it's like the, this, it's this concept that I thought I knew what it was because I had seen so many people do it. And I'd read all of the books that when I was finally handed the kid, I found myself at 35 thinking my dad was done having three kids by my age. How the fuck am i gonna have this one yeah i felt the exact same way <laughs> like 
what am I going to do? None of my training prepared me for this. It it literally it's that that men in black moment. You know, any any of the movies that follow that archetype where you're just like, okay, cool, you're trained, you're good to go. All right, get out there in the field. Oh shit, what do I do now? For instance, yeah. Maxine loves Frozen right now. Loves Frozen. Who doesn't? You put the movie on? Great. She's going to sit on the couch. Well, I put the movie on and she was sitting on the couch, but then she ran away from the couch and I was doing something in the kitchen, right? Which is in the other room from the living room. Doing something in the kitchen, I could hear her running around, I could hear her little tippy taps of her little feet, and then all of a sudden I hear boom, boom, and then lots of crying. And I go and look at her, and she's got a goose egg the size of Seattle Slough on the left side of her face, and it looks like she just got in a car wreck. No idea how it happened. No idea why. But, like, you can't, there's no anticipation there. Most books are written from the perspective of, like, this is what you do at this age from these two weeks to these two weeks. This is what you do at this age from these two weeks to these two weeks. Oh, my God. I just realized why those books piss me off so much. They read, like, theology books. They they read, like, textbooks of people who have the knowledge but no application of what it's supposed to look like. That's exactly what it is. It it always, again, with the exception of that one by Michaeline Dukleff. Oh, no, I'm, I, yeah. Broad, that is a broad stroke. Read all the parenting books you can. They are helpful, but... It just, uh, it, it always struck me as that weird thing, and that's why I wanted to talk to parents like you and talk to parents that have non-traditional parenting stories because here we are in this century, in this modern day, in this modern age, and so much of our conventional, quote-unquote conventional wisdom is still rooted in things that we did in the 1950s, 1970s. And it's not to say that a lot of the broad strokes of that information is wrong. It just isn't necessarily going to sit well with people like us that are now grown up in an age where information has been handed to us, potential has been handed to us. Individuality is so expressive and we're allowed to be human beings that exist and are constantly creating and and wondering and and going about things in the world. And we're not having our, like, we're not having kids just to have kids, we're having kids because we want to continue our legacy, but the weird butting heads nature of that is something that I don't think people of your and my generation were necessarily prepared for, especially if we wait, you know, because of uh, because of physical reasons or otherwise. Yeah. If you wait until a particular age, then all of a sudden it takes on a different characteristic. It takes on a different... Uh, need and when you when you get there and you're prepared for who a parent might have been when you were 20 something years old versus who you are now it's a totally different ball game oh man doug you need to be in the worst days like that guy wanted to be a dad but should that guy have been a dad no <laughs> like, uh you know i something my wife and i say to each other pretty often is like you know we wanted to be parents earlier, but this is that this is the right time for it. Life has a tendency to throw us places we didn't expect to ever be, but it also finds us precisely where we ought to be. Oh, it's like the TARDIS. 
I found myself desperately desiring to talk to you because I wanted to know, A, how it was going for you. B, I wanted to compliment you on your exceptional book and how open and honest of an individual you have been and how that's inspired me to continue to be open and honest about my journey. And then this last part. I want to know, what's the most incredible thing about being a father to Evan that you didn't expect? Oh, man. Oh, my God. There are just so many. You know, I just don't even know where to start. Hit me with as oh. many as you got. <laughs> uh, oh. So today, he uh, got his, uh, I can't remember, if I, I, I think I said this earlier in the show, or he had his flu and his um, COVID vaccine today. He was teething. And uh, the three of us were sitting on the couch, just letting he was like sprawled out between us and he grabbed my hand and started chewing on my finger and was like talking, like staring up and smiling and going, da, 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 da. And it was just like one of the best moments of my life. So there's that. Uh, that's pretty fun. Watching him develop who he's going to be next is great. Like, I miss the person he was when he was two months old, uh, like the lanky little guy, but I also love the person he is now. And I hope I continue to, like, champion the next person he's going to be, whoever that is. But um, I don't know, man. That's such a hard question to ask. I mean... I'm a cishet guy in my mid-30s with a beard who wears flannel. It's like asking what my favorite IPA is. <laughs> no, hey, do you like, like to I... smoke meats? <laughs> Sir, let me tell you what I'm getting into for my birthday. Uh, I am also into World War II history, uh, so I can talk to my dad about his dad's trauma. No, um, what I, so early on, when I was on my paternity leave, we would get out of the house. This is one of the best parts about having a kid in the spring is you get the entire summer together first. And so he and I would like go on a walk for an hour and like every day at what? Eight in the morning, something like that. It was either eight in the morning or two in the afternoon. And I missed that. I missed that. But yeah, I, I hope that's, that's not a sad, that's not a satisfying answer to me because it's such a specific question, but um, that's what I got. I do like taking pictures and videos of him and sending them to his mom while she's working. That's satisfying. Yeah. You know, I miss, I miss the hell out of that. There were only three months where I was working and um, Amanda was home with Maxine, you know, before I took over as the stay at home parent, but there would be days where I was working and it was really, really difficult. And it was like one of the toughest days that I could have possibly had that week. And I would go and have lunch, and all of a sudden, here was a video of my daughter getting an impromptu bath because she had pooped all over herself. Or <laughs> here was a picture of her just staring out the window. Or here was a picture of them having a, a quote-unquote picnic in the backyard. And I love those moments. Yeah. I'll reframe the question. Even though parenting looks totally different to you now than what you had originally prepared for, and like you said, for eight plus years prepared for, the magic trick for me is that with Maxine, 
there's not a day that goes by where I don't at least have one moment where I'm like, that is exactly what I always thought I was going to do. Through my entire life, that is the thing that I knew I was going to do. So looking at everything you had prepared for versus everything you've done with Evan up to this moment, do you feel like it's worth it? Oh, of course it is. Absolutely. I mean, for Halloween, he was a uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow man. It made me so happy when I saw that. So I got, so when we, when our adoption was canceled, my wife and I like, cause we'd saved a, 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 a lot of money for it. And so we were like, okay, well we're going to, our hearts are broken. We're going to, we're going to splurge on something for one another. And she got her thing. And I got my thing. And my thing was a, 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 a DIY Ghostbusters proton pack based off of the second movie. No instructions. You have to paint like you have. You just get the parts and you have to figure it out. And so I worked out a lot of sadness and and trauma with by putting that together and and talking to my therapist also, which has been incredibly helpful. And <laughs> and so like when it was done, it was like just this thing of sadness that was sitting there as a reminder of of what was there because I had to distract from everything. And then this year it became like this source of joy because it was something that I got to do with my son because we got to do like a family thing with it. So, you know, I was the ghostbuster and so was my wife and, you know, he was dressed up as the safe of marshmallow man with an oversized head, which is just like one of the cutest things in the world. Can confirm it was adorable. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely, it's, it's definitely been worth it. And it's nice to get to a point now where it's like, you know, if he's having a bad day, it, this is going to sound selfish, but like, I, it doesn't affect me in the same way that it used to because I know that it's not personal, which I didn't know how personal I was going to take everything as a parent. You know, <laughs> nobody tells you that. That's a, <laughs> no, that's a, that's a huge one. The especially when Maxine was younger, you know, there were luckily she wasn't sick much. Uh, unfortunately, she has had COVID, and this week she's been yeah. dealing with a bug. Um, but we've been thankfully able to avoid many, many sicknesses, but there were those times, especially when she was teething, like I'm sure you're dealing with Evan right now, or, you know, after getting some vaccines at, at the doctor where they can just be very upset all day. And yeah, when Maxine was really, really young, she would get so upset. And especially me being the primary caregiver, I would be, uh, it's not that I took it personally, but I felt like I was unable to comfort her in the way that she needed and Absolutely. that would make me feel like a total failure, like a total and complete failure. Like I was trusted to do this and I'm your parent. Like you share 50% of my DNA. How am I unable to do this? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even like, uh, like, in, you know, when Jet would come home from work and I'd had him and, and you know, he wanted his mom. It wasn't that I like begrudged her was upset with her or anything. It was just one of those things where it's like, this is a thing. Like I recognize that this is, you need something that I physically and emotionally cannot provide for you in the way that you need it right now, but it doesn't hurt any less. Right. And so like, hopefully, like one of the things I'm now worried about is not now, but like as he gets older and I hopefully get older with him, uh, <laughs> You know, like when he's a teenager, how does that not turn to resentment towards him? You know, like this is the stuff that I'm starting to think about now. 
Yeah. Um, especially having been right around, you know, two of my younger nieces very recently. And you can see the entire personality change because I've known them since they were infants. Right. Yeah. But I only get to see them every few years because they live in California. And you see these entire personality changes in them. You see the a whole infrastructural shift of how a human being can change from one moment to the next. And of course, those things are going to be concerns that you'll have in the future. But for my part, it's just wonderful for me to hear, especially with Evan's seven months old, Maxine is going to be 18 months old here very soon. It's just very cool for me to know, going back to that photograph that we talked about at the very beginning of the episode, that two guys who had no idea at kind of a transitional time in their lives, what additional transitional time was going to be coming in the future, and we're handling it well, we're handling it openly, we're handling it honestly. Obviously, there's difficulty there, but if you can't acknowledge that, then you're, you're lying to yourself and that doesn't do anybody any good. And I thank you for writing the book that you did, because even though I'm not a person with a religious faith, I do have faith in humanity, and I have faith in the potential of what we can all achieve. And what you did with that book helped me in ways that I didn't even know that it would. Of course, I applied the lessons more loosely and broadly to parenting. That's fine. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's just really cool to know that a friendship and a relationship that you build at one point in your life can always come back at some point later on and matter in ways you never knew it would. And I'm fascinated by that, and I'm very grateful that yours matters the way that it does to me right now. Oh, God. You make me cry. <laughs> I, like, here's the thing. I, I'm pretty clear about this in the book, but none of us have any idea what's going on. We don't know what we're doing. Right? So, like, I'm just happy that we're all hopefully being open and understanding that we're we don't know what we're doing together. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the older I get, the more I understand what it means. Like it takes a village. And I think about how like the building up of the nuclear family unit as the absolute was such a terrible idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, again, man, hunt gather parent by Michael and Duke yeah. that book. It just cracked open the world of like, I had been in this insular place for a very long time, like insular. This Maxine needs to be around me and she needs to do this. And then as she started to like really grow and really mature and really start to get into things, I was like, okay, I got to, I got to up my ante. I got to be at the next level of parenthood. And when I read that book, I read it at the right time in the right place and was just like, okay, she needs more than just me. She needs more than just mom. She needs to see how things go out there in the world. And she needs to understand different perspectives. And even though she's not going to understand the minutia of an adult conversation, let's say between you and I, mm-hmm. she will watch the way we communicate. She will watch the way that we move effortlessly from room to room. And it all benefits her. And it benefits me. And that's incredible. Yeah. And it's all because we choose to be open and honest about the way that we feel. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time tonight to talk about how it is going with you and your son and your wife and your community. Well, I feel like there's no place I would rather have been tonight. 
I love you, man. I love you too, George. Thanks so much, dude. In my life, I've had a version of my, quote, dream job three times. And while employed at each, I inevitably came to the conclusion that it wasn't the particular job I had dreamed of. It was an opportunity to get to know and help others in a way that felt meaningful. I don't think there's much of a coincidence in the fact that George's book was meaningful to me, and this podcast was meaningful to him. There may have been no smoking electrical socket the day he and I met, but he showed me his Star Wars wallet after I suggested that Star Wars wine, and it was pretty clear the two of us had to get to know one another. If you want to pick up George's book, We Don't Trust Your Theology, you can request a copy from your local brick-and-mortar store, or locally here in Grand Rapids, Books and Mortar. But I'll also link to Amazon if that's easier for you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of My Dad, I'm Dad. New episodes on Mondays during the season cycle. If you like what you heard today, you can follow along over on social media. We have a Facebook and an Instagram, at MDIDpod. And hey, why don't you drop by and say hi? You can send me an email, mdidpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Andy Bird for the use of the music in the show. And here's some Wally wisdom to help close out the week. I want you to practice this facial expression if you can. Scrunch your eyebrows and leave one slightly raised. Mouth open, but tight. And tilt that head of yours slightly to one side. That was Dad's learning face. I saw him put that on one time when he learned a new way to tie a knot for a fish hook. That new method would supplant his old tactic from that moment on. You see, when Dad was confronted with a perspective-altering piece of information, he would assume the face, say, huh, no shit, and adjust accordingly. Maybe give that a try this week, huh? We'll see you next time, folks.